right, welcome to Rogue Table Talk number 24. Hold down the applause, everybody. Uh, happy to be here. We are in our Jesus Unexpected uh, series. Where we're going to talk about Jesus and women and what was unexpected about his interactions uh, with women. And we're going to do that by talking with women. Uh, we've got three women that are part of our, our team here. Uh, we've got uh, Debbie Dursa, who's our communications director. We've got Sheila Smoody, who's our women's ministry director here at the Mid-Rivers campus. We've got Lindsay Walker, who is our children's director, part of our ministry team. Uh, Chad is over in the corner because we ran out of microphones uh, looking at YouTube or whatever he's doing. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and Jacob is still, as always, present. The ever-present Jacob. Say hi, Jacob. Jacob said hi. Uh, all right. With that. Um, so what what I'm going to do here is a little bit different, uh, the same but different. I'm going to jump into the, a passage that we're going to kind of use as a, as a jumping off point. Uh, and then I'm just going to try to kick off responses uh, from Debbie and Sheila and Lindsay, and uh, they'll take it uh, wherever, we'll go wherever it goes from there uh, and uh, try to delve into... Uh, perhaps how we can look at uh, masculinity, femininity, our own uh, role and culture of those we know, maybe the diff- maybe differently, maybe the same, maybe with a new light. So uh, here it goes. John 4, uh, we're going to read the passage of the woman at the well, starting in verse 4. Now he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and they have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you you have just said is quite true. Sir, the the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship uh, the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship Him in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. 
Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Okay, so a long passage, a familiar passage. Um, using that or anything else, what what's unexpected? What would have been unexpected? Uh, maybe what should we see? What will we miss? Uh, how did Jesus uh, subvert the expectations for women in ways that are helpful for us? And go. One of the things that I've always appreciated about this, or one thing that's always stood out to me, is that Jesus saw this woman. Women back then were not seen. They were just above slaves. They had no real uh, position in society other than their usefulness um, to serve. But Jesus saw this woman. He saw who she was, saw her for the person that she was, and probably for the first time in this woman's entire life, besides the fact that she is a Samaritan and a woman and he's speaking to her in public, it's that he saw into her as a person. That's good stuff. Yeah, I would agree with that, Debbie. I think the other thing I noticed in verse 7 is um, that he's the one who engaged her. Right. You know, it wasn't just somebody seeking him out, um, which, you know, a lot of people in the Bible, we see them like, oh, I know he's the Messiah. I'm seeking him out. But when he is the one who engages her and asks for that drink, I think that um, is just a, a, a great statement of, you know, Jesus love for everyone. And like you said, really seeing her for who she was. I think it's interesting, too. I think he says stuff to her that he doesn't typically say to anyone else. Um, he admits to being the Messiah. He's sort of, they have a conversation at a level that's of a different quality than any other conversation I can think of, really, that Jesus had, where he's, it's a long conversation, and he's really saying a lot. He's not mm -hmm. speaking cryptically, you know, he's not, you know, he's not hiding anything or whatever. He's really, he speaks in a way to her that he, that um, you don't even sometimes see him speaking to his disciples in that yeah. sort of way, which I just find that, uh, I find that unexpected. Mm -hmm. I find it surprising to some degree. Yeah, um, I would agree. So what in this culture, what do we understand on that in this place in that time it's noon it's at a well what is what what are some things that would be unexpected about this conversation even having the disciples come back and it's like what's he doing he's talking to a woman right so what is that like what's going on there i mean i think even going at noon time was uh, not a typical time. She was probably going to avoid mm -hmm. engaging with people um, out of shame or whatever. I think also, I think 
don't quote me, but I think there's like nine times Jesus engaged with women in theology. And the fact that he did that in this instance, I think was important. And I think we can learn from it. Um, and to the depth of their conversation, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. uh, we can take some cues from that. Mm-hmm. So like what cues? Like what, that's, it's just interesting. Nine times he, he engages with women in, in theology. I, w- I just quoted you. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks. <laughs> Lindsay Walker. I mean, who knows if that's right. Um, but, but what does that say? I mean, it says, what does it, what does it say about his understanding of who women are? I mean, I think in a culture that did, that women's, the war, you know, as she goes back in, and tells everyone her conversation with Jesus, typically that would have been disregarded because women's statements weren't even legally binding, right, at that Mm -hmm, time. So to engage women um, in conversation in a way that, you know, was seen as it doesn't really matter, I think is important for us Mm -hmm. as a church to acknowledge and say, you know, Mm -hmm. how is this, how is engaging women in theology any different than engaging men in mm-hmm. theology? And mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that, but mm-hmm. I do think it's something to consider. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think this is a very sweet moment when he reveals that he is the Messiah to this woman. And it's a good reminder uh, to us to remember that the station of women uh, came about as, as a result of the fall. God created men and women in his image, but because of the fall, women were um, placed in this lower servitude kind of a Mm. uh, station in Mm -hmm. life. And this is just a really, um, I just think it's a remarkably sweet interaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think going off of what Debbie's saying too, if we... Look at the part when the disciples returned, right? So it says that they were surprised, which I think is a really cultural response for them in that time, right? Because we this is odd. We wouldn't be doing that. But that they, no one asked or said anything tells us so much about Jesus and, and his heart for people mm-hmm. and of all people, you know, men, women. Um, so I love the, kind of that dichotomy of my cultural response would have been this as a disciple, but or as a you know, person in the culture at that time, but I follow Jesus and I know him mm-hmm. intimately in his heart. So I'm not that surprised. I'm not going to challenge him or question mm-hmm. like what's going on here because, oh, it's Jesus. Yeah. He loves all people. Well, and I think the juxtaposition of where it is in scripture. Um, so if you look at the context of, you know, John three and Nicodemus, I mean, he was a Jew and he's talking to a female Samaritan, the difference in their standing in um, the culture is uh, drastically different. And I think, um, you know, we can learn from that too. take away some things from that as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. Because you think about his conversation with Nicodemus, it is sort of cryptic, in a way, it is sort of like, there's a lot there under the surface, but it's not super plain. Uh, And he speaks to this woman, who, you know, is an outcast from her own town, Mm -hmm. it seems, you know, you've had five husbands and the, the one you have now is not your husband. And she's there. She, you know, we're inferring she's at the well at noon, meaning doesn't want to see other people or whatever. He sees this woman and he speaks super plainly mm-hmm. on a number of fronts that, you know, passages that we quote, you know, worshiping God and spirit and truth. And, you know, a lot of deep theology where he certainly is not privileging Nicodemus in the conversation about theology to your earlier point, Lindsay, that, and he's almost 
privileging the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, we never find her name out, right? Right. And yet, you know, he has this remarkable conversation, which he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of those conversations where he's just super plain and just lays it all out. Uh, and I think he lays it all out about the woman too. Like, I know exactly who you are. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not mistaken about your history, your story or whatever. And still, you know, not just a, a woman who's got a past, but a Samaritan and he's a Jew, the whole package, right? Mm-hmm. And he still is treats her uh, with a level of interaction that you just don't see very mm-hmm. much. It is pretty re- pretty remarkable. I want to go back to something you said about, Debbie, about the fall. And so, we, we it, you know, it's somewhat of a, uh, a, a topic of conversation. In what ways did the fall uh, subvert the relationship between men and women and maybe the identity or the, you know, the proper identity of men and women? And so let's just talk about that. Like, because it's important if we understand pre-fall, that's the way things should have been, right. way God intended. Mm-hmm. And then what did the fall do? And because then we're post-fall, we're, st- we're still living with those things. And so I guess let's talk about, like, what do you guys think about that? How do you reflect on that? What did the fall change about not just the relationship between men and women, but about masculinity, femininity, whatever? I'm just throwing it out there. Give me your best guess. Give me your second best guess. (laughs) Don't start with your best guess. (laughs) Oh, I think pre-fall, this was God's plan that men and women would, or they were created in his image. They would be partnered together. They had different gifts, different roles, but they partnered together. Mm -hmm. And I think um, after the fall, then culture, sin, selfishness, greed, whatever, dictated those roles. Men physically are stronger than women um, most of the time. And um, so that probably had a lot to do with it. And... I just think it it evolved and different cultures took it to extremes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the word that's coming to mind is just that, like, almost animosity, right? They just put us against each other when that wasn't God's design, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, um, from the Garden of Eden and the apple and the blaming of whose fault really mm-hmm. was this, right. um, just... Whose fault really was it? Yeah, hmm, I don't know. (laughs) 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 And like uh, just the power dynamic between that and. um, Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's just, you know, and from then on, you know, this back and forth between. Right, so um, the men are from, where are men from? Mars. 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 Women are from Venus. (laughs) So before the fall, we were both from. Earth. The garden, Earth. Garden, yeah, the yeah. garden of Eden yeah. on. You're welcome yes. for that wrap up. Um, <laughs> so, okay, what, what do you think, Lindsay, on that? Why do you have to put me on the spot? No, <laughs> we'll edit it all. She out. Don't worry about it. She wanted to. Like none of this will make the podcast. Don't worry. Just That's go ahead. Good. Good. <laughs> We're just women. <laughs> what we say doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, I mean, 
after the fall, we are broken. Um, so I think our cultural interpretations are going to be broken. I think um, how we treat each other is going to be broken. And I don't think um, there's necessarily a right or a wrong answer interpreting scripture, um, at least from my perspective. I think, you know, grace and especially um, the issue of... Um, men and women in the church and how we mm-hmm. treat each other, I think we all get it wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And the fall is to blame, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just enjoy dialoguing about it because I think we can all be better at how we mm. treat each other, whether that mm-hmm. be um, in leadership roles in ministry or just as a husband and wife or brother and sister in Christ or, you know. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. I do think, yeah, we all get it wrong is a good, yeah. is a good wrap up. Um, you know, because I think when God speaks to them after the fall, he says, you know, your your desire will be to basically control your husband, mm-hmm. but he will rule over you. It's kind of what you talk, the enmity, yeah. the power dynamic. Yeah. Like that's, everything kind of gets messed up. And that's maybe experienced differently culture to culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think earlier cultures where men, you know, fought wars to protect the village from the other men or whatever, there was necessarily a different perhaps view of things uh, in terms of masculinity and femininity. And so I kind of would like to get, and I have no idea what my answer is even really, I haven't formulated it or thought about it much um, because we don't really prepare for this podcast. I think we mentioned that before (laughs) we just kind of talk. So what are some aspects of godly masculinity, godly femininity, are there times when they will look complementary but different? Are there times? I mean, is it is it basically the same? Is godliness look the same for men and for? I mean, I don't really know. What do you think about that? Uh, and how then do like what should how should culture view men? How should culture view women? How do we help a young man be? the right flavor of masculinity? What does that even mean? How do we have a young woman? Like, like mm-hmm. just reflect on, just clean that up. I'm just throwing that out. <laughs> I don't know what I'm asking. I guess I think I, I don't have like a really clear definition, but one thing that I've always thought is that, you know, if we're all made in God's image, then all those characteristics, masculine, feminine are of him. Right. And so, um, I guess I don't, I don't think that we're all supposed to be the same, but I think that those characteristics are all of him. And so there is a real kind of gray area. It's not like this is what a man should be. This is what a woman should be. I think, you know, he gifts us all so differently and um, gives us different you know, passions and abilities. But I feel like culture really drives those definitions so much. And really, if we get back to we're all made in God's image, then something that culture tells us is more masculine, like being strong or not crying or things like that. Um, you know, we just really need to keep in the light of who is God and who are the really godly characteristics, the characteristics that we know of God and, um, that it's really okay for men and women to show the whole spectrum Uh if, if they're really uh-huh. all from God and uh-huh. made in his image. So I don't know, that's not clear and concise, but that's just a part that I've always uh-huh. kind of thought about in, especially okay. in the creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think as a woman who like 
to know my background, I went to Dallas Seminary, which is a... A lot of dudes there, probably. There are a lot yeah. of dudes there. It's probably yeah. 80%. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was like 1980s that they finally allowed women in seminary, and it was shortly before I was there um, that they even allowed women into the THM program. Um, you know, women could counsel um, maybe other women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, mm-hmm. you know, that as my background, and then a background in, um, I coach track, I coach throwers, so strength sports. Uh, I've really struggled with, I'm not a girly girl. Like you will not find me in the corner painting my fingernails, having a slumber party. That's just not how, mm-hmm. like, that's just not who I am. I've always played sports. I've always been active and I've always done things that were traditionally more male and figuring out how to balance. I think we all have a bit of masculinity and femininity mm-hmm. within us and i don't think there's anything wrong with the levels that each person has within them i do agree that it's probably more based on your giftedness and how has god gifted you mm-hmm. like within a relationship you know with my husband uh we serve different roles and it might not be traditionally like what you would think of as masculine feminine feminine within the spectrum of christianity um that doesn't mean it goes necessarily against that, but we lean into each other's gifts. So um, where I'm more of a planner, he is not a planner. Um, I may drive that, but he's an accountant. So plan finances, you know, uh, we just, we just l- have learned that we're gifted completely differently and to be okay with having it not be traditional. I would say, like, I don't go home and make dinner every night um and that's okay he's actually probably a better cook than i am you know some of those more traditional roles uh and figuring out what does that mean for us in our relationship and how does that affect us um as christians yeah i agree that um i think it goes back to more what's god calling me to do what's god's expectation of me how can i serve him better as opposed to how can I live up to cultural expectations mm-hmm. of being a, a wife and a mother and a grandmother, um, those kinds of things. It's what's, what is God's expectations of me seems more important to be, um, to look to that as a guidance rather than just what, what others' expectations of me are. Yeah, I think that's probably great advice for all of us because we are all, I mean, all of you know, God has both masculine and feminine characteristics, of course, and men and women are equally made in God's image. And so there's no necessarily right answer, but our culture does answer that question in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, as you talk about Lindsay's expectations of, uh, and can we be okay with who we are in Christ and be, and maybe not live up to cultural expectations? Because I think being a transformed believer means I have to not be, totally conform to cultural expectations sure. in any era of life, right? For sure, for sure. Uh, and so, but I think the male-female thing feels maybe more personal or more threatening or more something, more about me as a, you know, I don't know, core, that to say, you know, that's, you know, I don't match the, tra- and I don't even know what traditional masculinity or traditional femininity means anymore. And maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's freeing for a lot of people. I don't know. Uh, but I do feel like if I understand who I am in Christ, that's 99.9% of mm-hmm. whatever. And he's going to ask me to do something different. 
and be someone different than he's asking you, mm-hmm. not because I'm a guy and you're not, right? but because we're different people. Exactly. Um, okay, so I think that's all the time we have for this because Sheila has got to run to a meeting. I do. I'm and uh, I appreciate you guys. Well, thanks for having Debbie, me. Sheila, and Lindsay. And uh, so we're going to, Jacob is going to, I don't know, push a button and we're going to magically, you won't even know that. You won't hear him pushing the button. That's how the magic it is. And then we're going to, and it'll be Chad and I, and we'll have to wake Chad up. Uh, He's over in the corner and uh, we'll go from there. Thanks everyone. Thank you. All right. So we're back. It's Chad and I. Yo, I'm here. Chad's back. He's actually was here all the time. Just didn't have a microphone. Um, (laughs) So I felt unseen. Yes. That was not, you guys did not (laughs) validate me as a person. (laughs) Um, So I guess let's just, I don't know, process that, respond to that in some way, and then kind of go from there into some other areas we didn't have time to explore with them. Yeah. I, I loved the, just the tone of the humility in the conversation. And I, I think there are pockets of that. Like as a man, I don't know what it's like to be a woman. Mm -hmm. That's right. I think what Lindsay said at the last point about, about, but yet we can embody the quote unquote masculine soul, feminine soul, both characteristics, because God does. Right. Right. The, I'm like a mother hen who wants mm-hmm. to, you know, tend to my chicks, and that's mm-hmm. in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this, you know, masculine, feminine side of that. And I think that's really intriguing to talk about. But the humility with which, I think I'm a little suspicious when people talk about this is biblical manhood and this is biblical right. womanhood, and they're very, very certain about what that means. Right. Because especially manhood and womanhood are lived out culturally. Right. Right. And so a lot of cultural expectations or understandings are sort of baked into that cake of what we, when we say biblical womanhood, biblical manhood, we really are saying. Uh, a picture of biblical manhood or womanhood that are lived out in this culture, which right. the culture's fallen, our understanding of the biblical picture's fallen. We probably shouldn't be that certain. Yeah. Right? We probably should leave room for people who don't fit that. Because what does that do to somebody? Here's the picture of biblical manhood, and I don't feel like I fit it. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm, what, I'm a failed man? Is right. That, you know, is that what we're saying to people? Right. I think we can say that sometimes in the church. Well, and that's why I think the the strength the like men and women embodying to whatever degree both sides masculine and feminine soul the strength of the masculine soul anybody can have mm-hmm. the right. vulnerability and the tenderness of the feminine soul mm-hmm. anybody can have so i think you alienate right. a part of people when you say well that's masculine and therefore that's what it means to be a man mm-hmm. so what do you do with Jesus crying? Mm-hmm. What do you do with Jesus compassion? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what do you do with a strong woman mm-hmm. who was gifted in leadership and right. gifted in direction right. and vision and any of that stuff? So, um, oh, there's a lot there. Well, cause, uh, cause you know what I hear when I hear we're very certain about, here's what the Bible says about being a biblical man or a biblical woman. Here, here's what I hear. Um, this is almost Elizabethan values read backwards into Genesis 1 and 2, Mm -hmm. you take that to Africa, it doesn't fly. Right. So for a biblical principle to be a consistent universal, it has to, it has to gain traction in all cultures. Yes. So to me, more humility and questions around, I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I don't know what it's like to be a woman in this culture or any other culture. So 
I'd probably have to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, I think our tendency is to read our cultural understandings and preferences back into Scripture. Right. Which Scripture, I mean, so biblical truth has to be embodied in all cultures. At the same time, it ha- is going to be countercultural in some ways to all cultures. Yes. Right? So that's there's good. no correct cultural picture that anybody has, and yet our cultural picture does influence how we understand and read, and read the Bible. Um, so, you know, and you said something about humility and not knowing, I don't know what it means to, I don't know what it, I can understand femininity to some degree. I will never know what it means to live in this world as a woman. Right. Yeah, that's good. And vice versa, a woman might understand masculinity, might have a lot of masculine qualities, but that's not the same thing as knowing what it is like to live in this world as a man as male. and yeah. feel you know whatever the expectations or uh, the standards of success and failure and so on and so on that culture might have. And I do feel like we do sometimes, in our culture now, there is a lack of humility in almost every area, but in particular that, you know, women should this, men should that from the opposite direction, not necessarily. There's part of being a woman I can't ever understand mm-hmm. in this world because I'm not. Right. Uh, and there's a part of being a man a woman can't understand because they're never going to live in the world as a man. Yeah. Um, and I think there's some humility, and that somehow that's a principle that we could apply in a hundred different areas of, I understand things about it, but I don't, I'll never understand it fully because I can't get to that place. Yeah. Right. And I should know that. I should understand that. Every, you know, I need to ask and need to explore and think and ponder and understand and be open to and whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, even to turn it inward, I think you said this, maybe uh, Gary, our Big Creek pastor, said this yesterday. I'm not even sure exactly what it looks like for me to fulfill to be the man, call right. of biblical masculine. Yeah, I don't, right. yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. Right. So just the, the um, cutting under our, our arrogance and our pride of, well, I know exactly what it looks like for me. And I know what it looks like for you. I, I don't know what, I barely know what it looks like for me, just as a, another human being and a male. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know what it looks right. like for you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I don't know what it's like to live as a man in this world. I I partially understand what it's like for to, for me to live in this yes. world. Yeah. And uh, I did, we did have a discussion yesterday because Chris was there and I said, I don't know what it's like to be a 25-year-old man in this world now right. because it's been a while since I was 25 and, and culture has changed. Uh, and I think that level of humility is uh, Im- not only important, but it's really vital if we're going to understand and know e- and know each other. Yeah. Because otherwise, I see you through the expectations and under- pre-understandings I already have of you instead of seeing you as you really are. Yeah. Uh, and that, like I said, you can play that out in a hundred different areas and a hundred different ways in our culture. A- anyone who's not me not like me, I should probably keep that in mind. Stay in your lane. Right. Stay in your lane. There's a lot to do in your lane. There's a lot to do in your lane. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, I, I can understand how women have been, or at least cognitively, hurt or marginalized or how men have taken advantage of. And I, I, I can understand cognitively 
and see it, oh, that's a that's a wrong. But if I'm not in the position, I can't say, oh, I relate to that. <laughs> I right. relate to that. Yeah. I may know in some way what it's like yeah. to be under abusive power or something right. like that. Right. But but I do think what's going on now today in the culture. So we talk about countercultural, and there's always an element in each culture and each time where the invitation will be countercultural and what's going on today simply feels like broad stroke caricatures of men and women. So, uh, this, you know, if I'm not offended, if a woman says a bad thing about men in general, like, Oh, men think like this or do that. That's I'm less offended by that. I'm more offended that they just blanket stated all men. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, this is what every man does. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa, if a man says, this is what women are like. I'm like, okay, have you have you met right. two women? Right. They can be completely right. different. So the, the, can we talk in such a way that's way more nuanced and less caricatured? And, and when we exalt, you know, arguably women needed to be and need to be restored to places of dignity and seeing and value in the culture and in the church... But when we lift one up, doesn't mean we have to push another down. Right. They're not in comp- not, not, not in competition. Not in competition. Uh, yeah, because if you know, when I hear somebody say, "Well, men this," which is at this present moment in our culture pretty acceptable to say, mm-hmm. you know, my inner voice says, "Well, you don't know me." Right. Exactly. I mean, even even if, even if what you're saying about me is mostly true, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna say you don't know me. Yeah. And of course, that's what. Everyone says when we blanket statement anything. Yeah. When we assume, well, that's what you do, and I know who you are, male, female. That at that point doesn't matter. Right. They're gonna say, yeah. Um. So, uh, what? As we are, so Jesus sees the woman as she really is, and speaks to where she really is. And, you know, what What do I need to think about? So we're men, we're men in the church. I mean, what do, what do we need to think about there? And how, in what ways, I'm just thinking, like, when I don't do that, why don't I do that? How do, how do I betray that yeah. ethic, you know, right? Yeah, no, that's good. Two immediate thoughts come to my mind. Good question. Um, what y'all closed with at one section was, we probably get it wrong. Mm-hmm. So I probably need Everybody to ask. Everybody gets it wrong. Yeah. yeah. And if I assume that Genesis 3, talking about a general power struggle, not just in marriage, but in humanity together, and I'm a male and there are females in the culture, I probably need to ask how Jesus is trying to go against my inner culture. Like what have I maybe been blind to, maybe overlooked? Um how am I privileged? You know, can I go on a run? You use this example before. I can go on a run at night. I'm not worried about it. Not everybody can do that. Right. I wouldn't want my daughter to go on Absolutely a run Absolutely not. Night. No. Right. Which she probably does because she's her own person. And <laughs> I could imagine. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's something like there's a whole host of things I don't have to think about. Right. Or I don't think about. Maybe I should, but I don't actually think about them yeah. because I'm me. And other people aren't in that situation. Um, so yeah, I think that's like how, you know, the you uh, you look at that question with as you said with the relationship to the fall. So there's an oppositional 
something that's set up there. There's a corrupted power dynamic, I think, as mm-hmm. as maybe you remember Sheila said it or Debbie. Um, and I also feel like I don't know what you think, but I think there's a fear, at least a low level fear, or even if it's just fear of the other, that I think most guys have some low level fear of women. Most mm-hmm. women have some low level fear of men. Yeah. Maybe fear is not the right word. Uncomfortability, alienation, something. Yeah. And I feel if I'm honest, if that I'm impacted by the fall, that's impacting me in some way. Well, I, I think that's true. And I would say it like this. I'll use it in the context of myself, but I think it applies. It's n- not just about the gender I'm afraid or men are afraid of women to some level agree back to the Genesis three there. What was properly dominion dominion in the fall is now domination. Mm -hmm. So what we fear is control. We fear being controlled and that's going to play out Mm -hmm. in a very power struggle between male and Mm -hmm. female, I think. So what you see right now is Mm -hmm. Genesis three doing a pretty good job Mm -hmm. in the culture of um, I'm going to strike first. I'm going to be in power. I'm I don't want to protect wanna, myself. Yeah. I'm going to right, not withdraw. So right. I think there is that fear, but I, I would say maybe it's deeper than just the gender thing. It's I fear being controlled. Yeah. And it's going to show up in gender right. for sure. Right. And I seek to control. And I, so therefore, right, I seek to control either passively, uh, aggressively, mm-hmm. dom- domineeringly, mm-hmm. or seductively. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Hello. All of those. Yeah. I can't help that though, Chad. <laughs> I know you know that. I know naturally that's what you're saying. I know that's what. You, anyway, um, so but Jesus, and that's perhaps why. So Jesus' interaction with women stand. That's perhaps why they stand out. So because there's none of that. Oh goodness, no. And he's the King of Kings, of course. But there's none of that. There's a all of that's. Like he's he's unaffected by the fall. We know yeah. this theologically. Yeah. But it so that comes out in a way in which all his interactions with women are truthful, gracious, secure. Yeah. Uh, you know, lovingly, sovereignly, graciously, intimately, knowingly, something. Yeah. That's what you see in that interaction in John four. Yeah. A unprotected ego, not f- afraid of being controlled and not afraid to, uh, and, and not to needing be sovereign, to right? control. Right. That's right. But being who he is. Being who he is, guards down a strong yet vulnerable, mm-hmm. leading and yet inquisitive. Mm-hmm. It was, a, it was a, it's such a beautiful picture. You could camp out in John 4 forever. He right. started the conversation, but he asked her a question. Mm-hmm. And he put himself under a position mm-hmm. of, I need something from you. Mm-hmm. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. It's just a, a beautiful disarming. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Is he just disarmed and cut through all of the cultural noise and the gender noise. Yeah, and he can disagree with her and correct her in a way that is uh, still loving, and still draws her into something bigger, yeah. where he doesn't... He's not just being nice to her. Right. He's not just talking just nice be friendly. to the lady. No, right. Not just being friendly with the lady. He's being who he is. 
and he's drawing her into something beyond who she is. Uh, and it's a, just a beautiful thing that it does sort of, you know, when I look at it, you think, uh, um, it'll be good. It'll be good in the eschaton when we can relate to each other yeah. without all the crap yeah. that we carry around. Right. Yeah. And I, I just thought of this. I haven't seen this before, but why he goes to the wounds, you know, why he goes to the shame, why he goes to like, this isn't your husband. You've had five husbands. Like, why does he do that? And I used to think, well, he's, he's got to call her out on her sin. I, I think that's partially true. But when Debbie said something about women felt unseen, and then yesterday, Chantel brought up in teaching team about the core woman, uh, the core terror of a woman was to be unseen. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. She needed someone to see her in her shame. Yeah. No one had yeah. ever made. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm extending this gracious invitation to you, knowing exactly who you are, yes. seeing you fully. Yes. I see the real you. And that's who I'm inviting in. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty good. It's very loving. It's, yeah, I see you in the darkness where no one's met you and made eye contact yet. Yes. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I think she, I think Chantel was quoting Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb. Yeah, Larry Crabb. You know, the fear of women is to be invisible, the fear of men is to be weightless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, um, in thinking about the fall, then men will tend to make women feel invisible and women will tend to make men feel weightless. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's what we tend to inflict on each other. Yeah. Um, which I'm, I, I don't, uh, I don't doubt that, that I live that out and I'm impacted by that in a hundred ways that, I've never really pondered mm -hmm. that it just sort of, it's happening all the time at an unconscious level. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do think this, like it's a, you know, masculinity and femininity is sort of a core, we feel it at a core level, like who, you know, and uh, I do feel like probably need to think about that. Yeah. Like how is the, the, the fallen power dynamics impacting me in the way in which I might feel make feel some someone feel invisible in which I might be I might be prone to feel weightless or to have no weight or meaning or impact or whatever um, and so that's something I'm going to kind of ponder as we as we go forward yeah. uh, I think we are at the end of our time is that right Jacob Jacob says yeah you know all right um I don't know what that means. Uh, he's showing me the thing. I think I don't know it what that means, means, yeah. I think it means We're yes. at the end. Okay. Um, and so we, I want to leave you with that. I want to leave you with um, something also Lindsay said, I believe, was just sort of, I mean, be who you are. Be who God made you. Uh, that is to be celebrated. Yes, it's fallen. Yes, it's imperfect. But whether you're masculine, you have what our culture would say, more feminine characteristics or feminine or masculine or something or you're not sure whoever god made you is who you should be and celebrate that be that unapologetically be that and present that to the world and we will all be blessed through it so i'll leave you with that but we'll see you next time
Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.